Thanks for downloading the latest in our series of episodes of the C-Suite podcast that we're recording in partnership with the European PR agency Taito and their own Without Borders podcast, where we are interviewing leaders of unicorn companies to find out about the key issues, pain points and challenges that startups face and how they can address them with a strategic approach to marketing and communications. My name is Russell Goldsmith and my co-host for this series of interviews is Taito's founder, Brendan Craigie. And today we are thrilled to be joined online uh, from New York by Felix van der Mar co-founder and CEO of Calibra, a big data management startup that raised $112.5 million in April 2020 and achieved a $2.3 billion valuation. Welcome to the show, Felix. We always like to start by getting our guests to give us a quick introduction to their business. So um, over to you. Perfect. Thank you, Russell and Brendan. Great to be here. So like you said, Calibra, we are a data intelligence software company. So we're a software company and we help typically large organizations ultimately better find, understand, and trust their data. We do that kind of through data intelligence, which really is about connecting data to the right people, to the right insights, and to the right reports. And in that sense, help companies with data governance. So how do we make sure we can trust and have confidence in, in our data and in our reports? We help them around data cataloging. How do we help analysts find the right data faster? Think of it like Amazon for, uh, for data. And of course, we help them around data privacy as well, around the GDPR regulation, CCPA regulation. We believe as data becomes more and more important and foundational for any large organization, treating data in the right way and really being compliant to these privacy regulations, which are only going to increase, is really important. And so that's what we do for, um, for large companies across every single industry from financial services to healthcare, retail, technology, and so on. Thanks, Felix. And when you announced your latest round of funding last year, we noticed that you spoke about how large companies were living in or living with data chaos. And I guess we're coming up to a year on from then. How has the situation evolved since then? And is that still the case? And has the pandemic changed things at all? Yeah, it's a really good question. And this is something that has gone on for a number of years now. If you think about we started a company 12 years ago at the very beginning, but over the last 10 years, the importance of data has only increased. The volume of data has only increased. We saw the whole shift towards the cloud and big data, so more volume, more complexity. But on the other hand, the number of people that consume data, produce data, use data to do their work day to day has only increased. And that, that combination of all these factors really has led to that data chaos, right? And organizations have started to understand that they really need to build that foundation to be able to, so to, so to speak, tame the chaos and really get to valuable outcomes. And I think at the pandemic, we've actually been able to see that play out, not just within, or within organizations, but almost in society. If you think about COVID-19, we've all, I'm sure, looked weekly, if not daily, to the, to the dashboards to, to see how, how things are moving. Are they good? Are they bad? How are things changing? And we've seen a lot of discussions as well and, and questions around are these numbers correctly? Can actually can we compare uh, how Belgium is doing versus how, do, how the US is doing versus how the UK is doing? Can we actually compare those numbers? How are these measured? Are they correct? Can we trust them? So this whole result about the data chaos and not really having confidence and trust often in the numbers so we can actually take a decision based on them. I think we've seen this play out just in the, in the mainstream uh, media and, and in society at large. And so it's, it's a it's been interesting to see that reflected uh, what has been going on in organization for a long time, not now publicly. The other thing that we've, that we've seen is that given that it's all about helping people ultimately uh, work together, and given that we've all been forced to work from home, this need for collaboration 
I think has only in increased uh, the need for a, a tool, a platform, a system to actually make that, uh, make that easier because it used to be easy to just meet with people in the hallway, have a meeting to agree and, and have these discussions. Now that we're all working from home, this has only increased in, uh, in importance. And have you found, um, we've spoken to different unicorn leaders and some have found that the last year has been, been challenging in terms of doing business, but a lot of them have actually found it's um, led to kind of e increased demand for their, their technology. How, how has the environment worked work for you this past 12 months or so, you know, since the pandemic? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say both. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, let's say March, April, May, there was a lot of uncertainty. And so everyone, including ourselves, we, we've almost paused a little bit to say, okay, how is this going to play out? There were, at the time, we had no idea how bad it was going to get or, or, or uh, how good or, or, or okay it was going to, uh, going to be. I think what we've seen in the second half of the year, that's actually been not as bad as we thought it was going to be. And so in the beginning, we definitely saw a pause where people just waiting to see, okay, what's going to happen? Let's make sure we are conservative enough. But then uh, through the second half of the year, we've seen really business kick up. And again, uh, the thing that has really happened through, the, through this pandemic is that the shift toward digital transformation, I'm sure you've heard it before, has only been accelerated, right? All of the e-commerce has shifted totally to the web, to digital. So everything has kind of shifted to digital. So, uh, and we really believe that data is at the foundation of this shift toward digital. Ultimately, if you think about these digital companies, they're inherently all data companies. And so in that sense, uh, the need to have that foundation around data, uh, really being able to get to outcomes with data faster, be able to trust data, make decisions around data has only increased in importance. And we've seen that translate in our business as well, where first half of the year, I'd say a uh, little uncertainty and let, let's, let's wait and see. Second half of the year, we've really seen that re-accelerate and that's what we expect for, uh, for 21 as well. That's really exciting. I was doing a little bit of homework and um, I was kind of like thinking back to um, the term big data. It's kind of been around for a while. Apparently someone coined the term in 2005. You know, as we kind of, we're still at the beginning of 2021, what's the kind of next frontier in this whole area of, of big data? Because it feels like we've been talking about it for a, a long time. What's kind of, what do you think the real need in, is in 2021? Yeah, it's, it's indeed like over the last 15 years, we've seen this enormous shift in, in, in data. Uh, uh, up till now, I think the focus to your point has been a lot about big data. It's a lot about the volumes of data, complexity of data. The more data is better. And that has been the focus. And we've seen a lot of innovation technically as well around, okay, how do we store that data? How do we capture that data? How do we process that data at these kind of new volumes, that scale that we haven't seen before, the move to cloud, we've seen a, a lot of advancements there. I think what people are now realizing that just having more data is not necessarily the answer. And, and the analogy that I use is like, having a haystack and the actual, the haystack represents the amount of data you have. So we've uh, grown that haystack enormously, the needle, that piece of data, that data set that you actually need to make real uh, impact, make a, make a decision, uh, get some insights, is just as small, right? And, and so anyway, you've, we've made it harder and more difficult to, to find that needle in that, in that haystack. And so I think that's been an interesting evolution. And, and so what we're starting to see now is that just having better technology to process more data than ever before is important, but it's not enough, right? And so building that foundation around data where uh, it's easy for people to find the right data, it's easy for people to trust that data that is, that is correct, it's easy for people to work together around data, it's easy for people to treat data correctly from a privacy and security perspective is becoming more and more important. And, and you've seen the, um, uh, the trend where 
people are building these data lakes, which again, it was all about the volume of data and they quickly became data swamps, right? You couldn't find anything anymore. And so that realization is really, is really important. And even, even kind of put it more of a, a philosophical level, we used to talk about data being the new oil, right? And I really don't like that phrase. I think it's limiting. I think it's, it's about looking at data as a resource. And we at Calibra believe that data is much more, much more than that. We don't think it's necessarily a resource. It's almost um, a human emotion that's about sharing information. It's not something new. It's something that humanity has done uh, forever. And so we really think about data much more as about creating a shared language that can bring people closer together, can actually help people understand each other much better. And so the thing we've seen as well around data over the last couple of years is that in the news, it's, it, there's been a lot of negative connotations around data. If you look at big tech, Facebook, uh, Amazon, Google, how they treat data, how they uh, kind of manipulate data, where it's a negative thing, I think what we want to do with Calibria is really make, make data more human. Uh, so everybody truly understands what data can do for them, help people become data literate. And that's why we talk about this concept of a data citizen, right? Where, where you have a right as a citizen, but you also have responsibilities. So we believe everyone should have the right to have easy access to trustworthy data, because I think in this shift or digital transformation is going to be important uh, for everyone to have that to do their job. And that, that power of democratizing that access, I think is really important. But on the other hand, that balance as a citizen, you also have responsibilities. And so having the right responsibilities around treating that data right from a privacy and security perspective is, is just as important. And so that's really how we believe that over the last 15 years, the shift towards big data, it's all about volume and technology towards data now being something much more human. It's all about collaboration. It's all about trust. It's all about confidence as an important shift that, we are, that we're seeing. I think that's a really um, refreshing perspective and yeah, you know, helps to clarify where we're at. So thank you. Definitely, yeah. I just want to go back to what I was saying on, on the introduction, Felix, and, and that recent investment. Well, it's coming up for a year, I guess now, which was quite a, a large um, investment in the business. Is, did that take you over into the unicorn status and, and, and up into the two billion valuation? That You weren't at a unicorn stage before that, or is that what took you to? We, we were the year before, so I think 2019, if I, if I keep, keep track of actually, we became a unicorn and we raised also 100 million. And then last year, 2020, uh, we raised another 112 million and that um, uh, pushed our valuation from a billion to about 2.3 billion or so. I mean, what, one of the things we're keen to, I guess, understand on this is that journey to becoming a unicorn, but also when you reach that, that milestone, did it change the, the perception of the company? It's, it's a good question. And, and I often talk about this journey from starting a company from the very beginning where, you, where there's nothing really. And I, I do think the analogy that I use, I like to think of it almost like a climb. Uh, and you're climbing, of course, you, you have big ambitions and a big vision. So it's not like you're climbing a little hill, you want to climb Mount Everest, so to speak. And so you can't just go, go walk, walk straight up. It, it, it comes in stages and phases, just like in, in uh, Mount Everest, that there's like base camp one and base camp two, and, and you have to acclimate uh, um, a little bit. And I think a kind of a startup towards that, that billion dollar valuation is similar. I never use the valuation as a target. It's really how you build a business. And the, the result of that is, is what valuation you get. And, and we have to be honest as well, depending on where the markets are, the valuation really differs. Like if you would go back 10 years, a company at a similar stage would have get a very different valuation than a company would, would get today. If you look at the, the public market multiples that we're seeing today. So, but I really see that as, as a journey with important kind of milestones. And then becoming that billion dollar company, which we did about two and a half years ago, 
I think it's, it, it's, it was never the target for us. It was never a milestone. Again, we don't think of, of valuation as a, as a milestone. It's just a, a moment in time and a result of something that you've, uh, you've built. The good thing is as a, as, a, as a high growth company, as a startup, it is a little bit like a flywheel uh, and like a snowball. And the faster this flywheel goes, it's almost self, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And of course, the recognition you get as a unicorn allows you to hire more people, hire better talent, which is, which is probably the most important thing that you, that you have to do as a CEO and, and founder. And so it gets you more credibility in the market. Like I said, we, we work with the largest companies in the world. They need to know that we're gonna, we're gonna be here in business for the next five years, the next 10 years, at least the, the long time investments that they make. So all of those things become a little easier. And so in that sense, it's, a, it's an, again, kind of a great way to make the flywheel go, uh, go a, little, a little faster. Uh, Felix, we said you're joining us from New York, but obviously you, you didn't start the business um, in the States. You started it in Belgium. What, what was it like when you moved yourself over to the States and to, to carry on driving and building the business? Yeah, absolutely. So we started in 2008 in Brussels and Belgium. Uh, but from the very beginning, we, were, we, we realized that we couldn't build a successful company in Belgium, given that the, the, the customers we focused to, they were just weren't enough. And so we were very internationally focused from the very beginning. And so that's kind of how it built. We actually found a lot of our product markets fit on initial customers in the US. Where, and we did that just through traveling. So we traveled there for two weeks and then came back and then uh, over the phone late nights in Belgium. But that wasn't really sustainable because we ultimate, ultimately believe that uh, presence creates opportunity. And so actually one of our, uh, our, our founders, Stan, was the first one uh, to move, I think in 2013 or 2014, again, kind of to be close to our customers. And then in 2015, as we started to scale the business, I was going back and forth between Brussels and New York every, every other week. And so I was jet lagged, like literally the entire time. So also realized that wasn't sustainable anymore as well. Um, and so decided then to make the, mo- uh, to make the move full-time to New York. And really, New York then became our headquarter for the company as well. And you see that often European companies, once they start to scale, there's, there's more, um, uh, more talent available as well in, in the US. And, and we saw most of our customers actually in, in the US. Like, like I said, uh, our initial product market fit was with financial services. And of course, we could do London out of Brussels. New York is the other big hub. And so that's really why we, um, why we ended up in New York and maybe not San Francisco or Boston. We followed our customers, uh, not our investors. And so really that, that's why we ultimately uh, ended up in, in, in New York. And it's been an interesting move in, in 2015. It's, it's interesting because it, it does require quite a bit of adjusting to scale in the US. But in, and there's, there's a lot of lessons learned from that. But it was a really important, important decision that we, that we make. And I'm sure we wouldn't be where we are today if we wouldn't have made that, uh, that decision to, to fundamentally move. And how have you coped personally? I mean, did, did you travel backwards and forwards quite a bit before the pandemic and, and obviously not being able to for the last 12 months? How, how's that been? Yeah, it's, it's, it was it was a very, um, very busy year. So in 2015, we moved. I think I got married in 2016. And, and by now we have two little daughters. And so a son of family as well. And so the traveling uh, was, uh, was still um, uh, quite, quite heavy. So, of course, I go back regularly. To Belgium to meet our, to meet the people there in our office, but also to London, to Paris, to Poland, around, and and so it's it's been it's been um, it's been quite good in that sense. But we really call New York home, and, and we, we love it here. We we we, um, we really enjoy enjoy being here for the last five years, and so uh, it's been it's been really good. That's really interesting. Um, thanks, Felix. And and so thinking about the past year when we've all had to kind of operate with certain constraints, they say. They say that necessity is the the mother of invention. Have, have there been kind of things that you've seen 
you know that have kind of emerged in this past pandemic period which have, have excited you yes it's it's really going back to that kind of acceleration of that shift towards digital transformation everybody had to work from home and so we, we've really seen this, this shift happening in the next three years was happening in three months so to speak so this massive acceleration which was i think really exciting to see that see that happening and again for us and specifically the 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 acceptance that data is really at the foundation of this. Uh, I think there's, there's been a saying for some time where, where we say that software is eating the world. I, I would argue that data is eating the world, very much so. And, and so I think the importance of data also has been, been clearly shown like almost on a societal level. I think on the one hand, you had the, kind of the presidential election in the US where it was so much about, about data and the importance of data and almost, the, the, the almost sometimes the mistrust of data. I, I, again, the power of data is interesting. And also around, around COVID, I think it's been interesting to see how fast, how quickly we got to these vaccines. And again, data has been such a, an important kind of foundational uh, source there. Uh, we, we've done kind of what we, what we could do as well from, from Kalupa's perspective. So we published our uh, COVID-19 uh, data catalog. And so really taking into account and capturing all these different data sets, wherever they come from, uh, making sure people can easily find them, can trust them with the definitions, like how do we actually measure this particular field Again, to make it easier for people to, to do the right analysis based on that data. And we've made that publicly available and we've got, a, we've got great kind of adoption on that as well, which, which was exciting to see what we could do in, in that respect. And from our customers as well, we work with a lot of the largest pharma companies as well. And again, in that kind of research process, uh, using data in the right way, having people access data faster uh, uh, with more confidence is really impactful. And so from that perspective, it's been really um, great to work with our customers on, in, in that sense as well. Just switching topic for a second, a key part of, of what we talk about in, the, in these discussions with our, our unicorn leaders is on communications and, and culture within the business. And so, you know, it'd be great to understand what your approach has been to raising awareness and differentiating uh, yourself in, in, I guess, what must be a pretty crowded area. Yes, Um so it's, um, it's, it's not something uh, that kind of came natural to me as, as I started as my, my first job at a school of a computer science degree. So it's something that I had to learn over time and also something uh, that I had to learn why it's so important as well, like communication and really standing, uh, standing out. And I, and I go back to where we started, where we really were able to create data governance as a category, as a software category from, from the very beginning. Like we, we actually created that category and we really position it in the market because we believed that it was a really important thing uh, thing to do. Now, as we as we grew, we also had to expand that category. And again, communication in the markets is really important because you have to educate the markets. You have to explain uh, your, your, your point of view, your perspective. So we've done it over the last couple of years, expanding from data governance into data intelligence as, as a broader category, uh, which was a really important, uh, important concept. But then also internally, as, the, as your company grows from 10 people to, to 1,000 people, uh, the focus on internal communication, especially during COVID, where you don't have the opportunity to meet people uh, in person all the time, only becomes uh, much more important. When we've done surveys, I've never had people say we want less communication. People always want, I want more. But so doing that in the right way has been, has been really important. And it's, it's been part of my growth as a leader as well to, to understand how do you best do that. Uh, I believe surrounding yourself with, with the right people, with the right team, that you can lean on, I think is really, is really important. Almost pushing yourself out of your comfort zone as well. Again, it's not something that necessarily came natural to me when, when I started, but as you do this, you understand how important it is and it's something that you have to really lean into. But the other thing that, I, that I've learned is that like authenticity, I think is the most important thing because people have to believe you. 
you are who you are personally, the company is who the company is. And I think that's, that's something that people follow. So being really authentic in your story, in your beliefs, and then it goes back to our, our, our mission or vision or values as a company, which has stayed really consistent over the last 10, 12 years, I think has, has been really something kind of a, a great foundation to build upon. And so these are some of the, the things that I've learned and picked up over the last 10 years as I kind of evolved in my role and, and how we think about the communication. So, so you mentioned internal communications there then. How, how have you been dealing with that over the last year? I mean, I, I don't know if, if previously you'd spoken individually or to teams or to the company as as a whole but you're now as you said you're growing rapidly i'm guessing you're spread over numerous locations but everyone's been working at at home or, or mostly you know for the last year so how have you overcome those challenges what what kind of things have you been doing yeah there's a number of things and and in general i've always been very approachable i've always enjoyed very much connecting directly with people now again as, as the company grows it's harder to do that so you need to find leverage i need to find a way to connect with people in a, in a way, in a more effective uh, effective way. I've always really enjoyed kind of visiting our different offices to your point we have different offices, a big office in New York and Belgium and Poland and France and London, really across the world. And, and a big part of my, uh, where I spend my time is visiting our different offices. And it was always great to actually connect with the people. You get a sense of the culture, you get a sense of how people are doing. Uh, people really uh, appreciate it as well. And so of course, in, in the COVID world, that wasn't possible anymore. So we had to think of, of alternative and how do you connect in a world where everybody everybody's at home, but also where there's so much uncertainty and so much change, where actually connecting and communicating is, 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 has never been more important. And so we did a number of things. We did a lot of listening sessions with the, with the management team, where we brought people together, five, six, seven, eight people, and just listened. What's going on? What do you care about? What are you concerned about? So to really understand what's going on with, uh, within our teams, which was really important and very much appreciated by the, by the company. We have regular all-hands meetings, and pre-COVID, we did that once a month. Uh, we said, okay, it's, it's important that we do it much more consistently. And so we shifted to, to do that every every other week. Again, to have much more regular communications with the team. I started doing something. Uh, uh, I started doing a, a, a bi-weekly vlog, like a video blog, just internally, where I share about what's top of mind for me, what am I thinking of, what the exec team is thinking of, uh, be able to recognize people, recognize great things that we're doing. Again, to not have another op- opportunity for people to, to connect in, in that way, not just over also over video, uh, which, which is, which is uh, important. And then I did uh, Coffee with Felix. Uh, again, just an opportunity for people to just connect directly about a random topic. People can sign up, it's not an obligation at all, but just to get people an opportunity to connect directly uh, with me as well. Things that I used to do when, when I was visiting our different offices, I couldn't do anymore now. And uh, so these are a couple of the things that we, we did last year to make sure people were able to connect and, and felt that sense of, uh, of connectivity with everything that we're doing. That's brilliant. And, and do you think, I mean, just going back to that culture element that I mentioned, I mean, how, how have you, or, or how did you build and, and, and introduce the culture to the company? And, and have you managed to continue that, doing all those, those different things that you just mentioned over the last year? I think so. I mean, it's, you have to ask the, the people, right? It's, um, yeah. Well, because well, I was going to say, I mean, I don't know how many people have, have, you know, you've recruited over the last 12 months, say, that, that haven't even experienced being in an office with people, you know, because that's a key part of understanding the culture is is working side by side and, you know, coming into the office every day. And, and of course, a lot. I'm guessing you've onboarded people that haven't even experienced that at all. Yes. And, and I don't know the exact percentage uh, top of mind, but there's actually quite a big percentage that of people that have joined recently that has ne- have never been in the office and have never met anyone in person. Even in, in my management team, 
uh, we have a few people that I've never actually seen in person. I don't know really how tall they are, right? And it's kind of strange to think about. Um, but to your point, it, it just makes it so, so much more important. And going back to culture, it's in the beginning, it, it comes natural and it's really part of the, that kind of initial team, the founders initial team. But as you grow, you have to be much more thoughtful about it. So we, um, we, uh, we made the, the, our cultural values explicit and we reinforce them all the time. A big part, of course, is an interview process to make sure that there's a great culture fit uh, as well. And, and like, for example, one of our values is open, direct and kind. So we're very transparent and very open and, and very kind of kind and respectful in our communications as well. And that really flows through to kind of what you do day in, day, in, day out. Um, and and that, I think that's an example of some of the things we've, uh, we've introduced this year to make sure people feel that. But it's something that you always have to keep working on. Like you can't take it for granted. Like people come and go, you always have to have to work on it. You can always strive to do better as well. You're never going to be perfect as a company, but also personally. And so it's always like a goal that you're working towards, but keeping that top of mind and everything that you, everything that we do uh, has been has been really important. I think you're right about needing to always just keep those things fresh and keep trying new things. Um, thinking more on the external front, I mean, how do you see your role as the external spokesperson for the company, and 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 what have you learned along along the way so far? Yes, it's uh, it's like I said, it's not something that necessarily came natural to me from the very beginning, but over time, I've realized how important it is. I think it's even it's important externally to, to put a face to the company, explain why we are here, why what we do is important to customers, to the broader market, to investors. Uh, I think that's a really important aspect. But actually, even internally, and I, I kind of under, underestimated that, that external communications, a big part of that is actually helping with internal communication as well. It's important for people like our employees to see how we're being captured in the media or external message is actually part of internal communication as well. So I've, I've learned how important it is. And so it, it's, it's, a, it's a much bigger part of my role versus a couple of years ago. And I expect that only to, uh, to increase. And it's interesting with last year, of course, during, during COVID, there was so much kind of going on internally, a lot of change, a lot of uncertainty. I felt the need to, to make sure we focus on my employees and I spend a lot of time internally as well. And again, now that that's shifting, where there's light at the end of the tunnel, right? And we see the business shifting, it's going to shift again to be much more kind of externally, externally focused. Uh, because that's, of, of course, very, uh, very important. But again, a, a part, part of the reason also is that we see ourselves as a, as a category defining company. Like I said, we did that 10 years ago and we defined the data governance category as the first ones. It didn't really exist. We felt like this is going to become really important. Initially, interestingly, uh, tied to the, to, the, to the financial crisis in 2008, which initially gave rise to the need for data governance within, within all the large banks. Um, and so we created that category and you can only do that by kind of externally uh, explaining that to the market. And now we've, uh, over, over the last two years, expanded that to data intelligence. And so again, it's on us to explain what do we mean with data intelligence? Why is that important? Uh, why is it impactful? Um, and, and again, it's all about external external communication. So it just, it's a really big part of the, of, the, of the job. I think you're right. It's kind of, you're like the cheerleader for the company, aren't you? And I think that if they don't see you out there, then they're kind of like, why not? You know, like it's kind of almost you're getting recognition for the business, business, aren't you, and the team externally. It sounds like you you formulated a bit of a plan to address that, you know, as in you recognized it, it was an area that was kind of important to the business. And then you form, formulated a bit of a plan as far as that kind of external role. Absolutely. And I, and I can't stress how important it is to surround yourself with kind of a great team, again, in everything that you do. I'm a big believer in, in what I call growth mindset, understanding what you're good at, what you're not good at. 
and always wanting to learn more and get better and kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone. And that's how you, how you get better. Practice makes perfect. And there's still a lot of practice to be, to be done. But surrounding yourself with a great team that can help you in that, can create leverage for you, I think is absolutely critical. And that's something that I, I recommend all kind of founders, CEOs, as, as their company grows. It's your most important job. Surround yourself with people that really are experts and that, that can help you create leverage. And I think it's, it's, super, it's super important. So having a plan in that sense and being really um, thoughtful and proactive around it is really is really important what would you say has been the biggest uh, communications challenge you've faced since you started the business we haven't ever been in crisis mode so i think there's not 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 an event like that where it was a really difficult communication challenge in that sense i, I think from the very beginning the hardest part that in a, in a way we're still facing a little bit is explaining what we do in layman's terms that people get uh, and, and why it is important in the beginning it was all about uh, people didn't realize how important data was. So we were talking about data and data governance. I was like, why is this important? Like, why is it even relevant? And so we, in that sense, that was our biggest challenge. I think over the last 10 years, we've clearly seen how important data is. So people understand that now. But then explaining what exactly we do is still a challenge because it's quite abstract, right? And it's something that large companies deal with every day. But as an individual, uh, it's easy for me to understand what Instagram does. It's hard for me to understand what Calibra does and, and, and why it is important and how it exactly works. And, and Explaining something that's that's abstract and complex and kind of easy to understand terms continues to be a, a challenge. I think we got better at it over time, but it's still something that's uh, that's top of mind and I think important to to be able to really explain uh, in a very simple uh, and easy to understand way. So I think we're getting close to the end of our questions and things. But um, thinking about the future, what kind of what does the future hold for Calibra? And you know, do you have any? plans that um, you could maybe share of or how you how you see things shaping up for, uh, in 2021? Yes, I mean, we're really excited about 21. We saw a lot of traction in the market again around, around data. This acceleration of digital transformation is fueling the need for more, uh, more data, but also a better data foundation, right? And again, both from a trust and, 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 and compliance from a governance perspective, uh, as well as, a, as a, how do we help analysts find the right data faster so we can actually create better insights faster, but also from a privacy perspective. And so I think it's a really exciting time for us because we really see that becoming mainstream. Every organization is hiring, for example, a chief data officer, and that's been trend has been ongoing, but only accelerating. And it's, a, it's almost a proxy. Um, it shows the importance of data uh, at the highest level of organizations. Uh, boards, boards of directors are really understanding the strategic importance of data in the whole digital transformation. So that continues to be a lot of market pool and market awareness uh, that, that's, a, that's increasing and that's really exciting, exciting for us. And it's going to continue to fuel a lot, uh, a lot of our growth. The other interesting thing is that we see a lot of aspects around data coming together. I think the challenge is that as data has become so, so mainstream and understandable how important it is, there's been so many data companies out there. Ten years ago, we were one of the few. Now there's hundreds, if not thousands of data companies. And it's harder to, to your earlier point, uh, rise above the, the noise, so to speak. And so... But it's some work around really being able to have that compelling vision, compelling mission. And I think we really are quite unique in our beliefs. And I talked a little bit about our beliefs around uh, kind of our obligation to humanize data, where it's not a bad thing, it's a positive thing. Or, or believe that we need to make everyone data, uh, data literate so we can democratize data. And also our belief that ultimately data can bring people close together as kind of that, that shared language. I think that's a quite a, a unique uh, and really compelling uh, vision and mission that we have. And we want to continue uh, to push that uh, push that forward. And so 21, we're really excited about the growth that we continue continue to see. 
Uh, it's clearly as, as enormous uh, market opportunity. I think we're really strongly positioned, uh, given our history, but also the planning that we have from a product perspective, how uniquely we, we bring everything together for governance, catalog, privacy, quality. We recently acquired a data quality company, which is really exciting. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a great extension of our, of our platform. Uh, and so long-term, we believe we can build a, a long-term uh, successful, large, independent, independent company. And that's kind of the, that's the journey we're on. I talked a little bit about that, that climb that, um, uh, that I've talked about. We've, uh, again, the first phase of that climb was to get us from nothing to over 100 million in, in revenue. And we've done that really successfully. And so we, we've turned that corner and now we're on the second journey and the second uh, leg of the climb, so to speak, to go from 100 million to that next, next phase. And it's, uh, it's really exciting. And uh, so very much looking forward to what the next uh, uh, years are going to bring. Is, is that the first time you've done an acquisition, made an acquisition, or have you... It's, a, it's our second acquisition. Last year, the day before, we acquired a, a small company around data lineage. And that's all about how do, you, how do we help and understand uh, how data actually flows to your organization. If you look at data and reports, how do we know where that data actually came from? And that's important, again, to kind of trust, trust those numbers. And so that's an acquisition we did a year and a half ago. And now recently, uh, last month, we did an acquisition around data quality, which is, again, a great expansion of our, of our platform. I was just going to ask, because that's another interesting, it goes back to that question about culture, isn't it? Because you're, you're now bringing in a new team from a different business. It's another challenge. <laughs> Absolutely. And the first acquisition, they're relatively small, but the first acquisition have been, has, been, has been really successful. Again, it's a team that we knew for a while, and so we knew they were going to be really good culture fit and that's that's proven to be the case so that, that's great and now with the team around data quality that we acquired again we were i think at, at that stage the most important thing you're acquiring so to speak is, is really the team uh it's, it's, it's their knowledge expertise but also the culture fit and how well they're going to fit in, in the organization uh and so we felt really really good about that sense of from the very beginning and so really exciting um to have to have the, that team uh, join us on, on, on our mission and um, I mean, there's been a lot of excitement internally as well as externally. So we're very excited about the about the prospects of uh, of that acquisition. Great, um, Felix. We've got one final question for you. It's something we've asked all our, our unicorn leaders that we've interviewed uh, so far, and that is, if you were to go back in time and speak to your old self, what guidance would you give yourself about communications, and, and also what steps would you encourage yourself to take uh, for you and the business to excel in communications? It's, it's a good question. Um, I think the realization that communications is important earlier, starting earlier, surrounding yourself with, with, with people that can help you with that earlier, it's so important, especially like as if you're creating and defining a new category, communication is so important. And, and maybe it's a bit of kind of either my personality, where we come from in Belgium, like I, I moved to the US, communication comes much more natural uh, here um, and, and a, a little bit of almost like posting and being proud of everything that we're doing. whereas I think uh, in Belgium and myself, I, I think we've, we've been a little too humble maybe, but I, I think it is really important to communicate to the market what you're doing, why it is important, what progress you're making. So just realizing that a little sooner, I would say, getting help with that maybe even a little sooner, I think that would be my, my recommendation from that perspective. Uh, if I would if I would be able to go back in time. Felix van der Marle, thank you so much for taking the time to join us online and, and chat with us today. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thoughts on uh, today's chat, Brendan? I really enjoyed that. A couple of things really stuck out for me from what Felix said. What he said at the end about starting with your communications journey very early on and, and putting a real focus on it early on 
And the fact that that will pay dividends was, I think, a valuable lesson that he shared for, for himself, which I think other companies would benefit from. And then I think something that he said, which hasn't been said quite as much by other people, is the importance of surrounding yourself with kind of experts, with great people that can help you with your communications journey and kind of share their advice if you're if it's not something you're a natural at, which is um, understandable because you can't be brilliant at everything. So I thought um, I thought those two points really stood out for me. Good stuff. Well, that's actually it for this latest episode in in the uh, series uh, with Taito. If you want to find out more about Calibra, then their website is simply calibra.com. We'd love to hear your comments on today's chat, and you can share them on our Facebook page, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter feeds, or in the comments on the uh, YouTube version of this podcast. Those are all linked from the top of our website at csuitepodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic downloads each episode via the likes of Spotify and Apple and if you've liked what you heard please do give us a positive rating and review we're of course available on all podcast apps just search for the C-Suite podcast and hit subscribe and also please do subscribe to the Without Borders podcast from our partners at Taito all the details for that are on their website and so just head to Taito PR and click on the podcast link in the top navbar If you are a unicorn leader yourself and you'd like to be part of this series, then please do get in touch via the contact form on the website at csuitepodcast.com. Plus, of course, anyone can get in touch too with any feedback you may have. And finally, you can also reach me via Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith, or you can find me on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. Mm